Welcome to uh, what I'm calling a yeah a rogue episode of For Christ's Sake Anakin. Not really an episode, just a little bit of a, not a retraction either, but a, a reflection, a clarification of some things that uh, I've put out in previous episodes. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm just being asked on the spot or the last episode in the last case, I decided to go ahead and deal with some really deep uh complex issues like this fancy word called theodicy uh without you know doing notes or anything and and what's interesting there you know i kind of just learned to appreciate just the 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 freshness of that um and i i i clicked yeah just the other night when i when i uploaded it i i clicked it and started thinking oh no did i just say something horrible and uh untrue about what it means to fear God and what, you know, if, if you know, rebels is going to show us this image of God, that's basically downright evil. Um, we've reflected on that a little bit. Did I just say in, in the Obi-Wan episode, did I say, uh, the, you know, the, the, was I not clear enough about being a pacifist and being someone who, who, is opposed morally and, and hopefully viscerally to the prevalence of armed conflict in our world and doesn't want to normalize that. Um, I don't think I necessarily said those things, but I do want to clarify what I meant there. I uh, hope you'll indulge that a little bit. Um, also, did, did I say I didn't enjoy Fan Expo and uh, was the only thing I saw was the Rebels panel? No. Um so I want to address that too. I got, this is a bit of a, a rogue episode. I even got my Kensington Brewing Company, uh, Belfem, I believe the the beer is named. And so I'm going to kind of give that a swig here. Usually if you're wondering when I'm, uh, yeah, clink the glass, see if you can hear that. Usually if uh, my, when I'm, when I'm recording a normal podcast and Tends to go a little long and my, my throat starts to, my voice starts to lose its steam, if you will. Uh, I do have a sort of water, so that's what you're wondering. The silence is in the coughing. I don't, I do like the, the live to air. Um, again, it, it's more immediate, more raw, and I could spend more time editing, but uh, maybe sometime in the future I'll do that. Invest in a better mic and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I did get the, the new, few news items out of the way. The other day when I posted, but I do want to say Fan Expo, you know, on the way home Sunday night, on the way out, I was sad that it was ending. Um, that That's the, the typical kind of con withdrawal, convention withdrawal. I didn't take my wristband off. I, I left the con and walked up to the subway with my premium badge or whatever still on. And I didn't take my wristband off until I went to bed that night. There were lots of moments that I, I really loved and really enjoyed, especially that that Rebels panel and the episode, which did blow me away, as, as you can hear from the, the last, uh, the podcast from the other day. Um, the, I think, again, I didn't necessarily pace myself. I should, here, here's, here's a convention pro tip. Uh, if there is a convention floor, if there are, in this case, third largest con in North America, if there are two convent, two, two floors, People selling things, don't try and do them all in one go. <laughs> uh, if you're there for four days, just 
do half a floor per and then take it easy. Um, last year, the schedule kind of helped me out there a little bit in that I, there were things that really, panels I really wanted to see every day. Whereas uh, this year, everything I really wanted to see was mainly Saturday and Sunday. Um, and I actually really compressed Saturday. I had to miss out on seeing Nathan Fillion and Felicia Day. Uh, both, you know, definitely big fans of those two people. But of course, I've seen Nathan Fillion before. Probably one of my, my favorite uh, fan artists might have been Comic Con guest ever. So engaging with fans. Um, his equal, his parallel. This is going to sound funny, but you know, I mean, even more engaging with fans. You know, I've seen Mark Hamill last year. I saw Anthony Daniels this year, and I, and if you check out my. Uh, I guess I posted on Facebook, but if you want to see, uh, I mean, the way, he, so he, he was fantastic and really engaging the crowd and, um, I mean, so well versed in that. It's kind of funny, kind of played off the whole, oh, he's been doing this for decades. So heard every, uh, question, every question under the book, in the book and under the sun rather. And, eh, he wasn't as... Here's the word again, benign and and, and lovey-dovey with the fans. He was actually kind of, not not confrontational, but he didn't give simple questions a pass, if you will. You know, he didn't, uh, he challenged us to ask good questions. And one of the best questions that was asked was was a, kind of a not expected one was, what did he think of Jar Jar Binks? And uh, he <laughs> basically said, yeah, uh, he, yeah. what did he say? He said, um, sorry, I'm just silencing my phone here, if I can. Okay, I'll just turn my phone off. See? Live to air. This is how this works. Um, what did he say? He said, uh, he really respects what Ahmed Best did, what George Lucas was going for, how it really appealed to kids age 9, 10, 11, who are now... Growing up, becoming to maturity. I mean, nineteen ninety nine. I was how old was I? I was fourteen. Coming to maturity, um, you know, seeing and kids who are even younger, who really love Jar Jar now, appreciative of the prequel trilogy. Um, but with with Anthony Daniels, interesting. He said, just like the Ewoks, not really my thing. It wasn't for me, and he said he wasn't intended for me. And okay. You know, that that's the type of response you know, I can hear and say, okay, that's that's fine. You can say anything about, uh, you know, I want to kill Jar Jar or all that, that nonsense. I mean, I know someone who made a tattoo of this violent, people have tattoos or whatever, violent, uh, you know, kind of a, a not, an old, not an old friend, I wouldn't say necessarily a friend, but Someone I knew from my my church youth group, and he 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 does he's a tattoo artist now, and he was commissioned to do this this violent thing of Jar Jar being killed, and I, I that was click unfollow on Instagram there uh, when I saw that post, and what Anthony Daniels did was not that he respected what Jar Jar was. Would have liked him to hear a little more on the sense of uh, who the character is in the story, but. Uh, at least he he was honest about respecting other people's 
you know, the, the intent behind the character and other people's appreciation of him and just simply said, that's not my, wasn't my response. I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, his panel, it was a very engaging panel. He walked the floors. I was literally a few feet away from him, meters away from him, <laughs> I should say that. Uh, and, and yeah, it was great. He, he clearly knows how to work a crowd as he's been doing it for decades. Um, so that was fun. The Saturday afternoon, so I, I leave the Rebels panel, I, I go have lunch, I think I check a bit of the floor, and then Saturday afternoon I line up for the Star Trek Discovery panel, and I won't go into that too much, but yeah, it was, it was neat to just, I'm even wearing a Star Trek t-shirt right now, believe it or not. I know it's a Star Wars thing, definitely got to do an episode of Star Trek and Star Wars, um, but yeah, I, the more I hear about that show, actually... Frankly, the more excited I am. I was first a little skeptical. You know, was it going to be just diversity for diversity's sake? <laughs> There's a whole other thing, and maybe I need to clarify that right now, is diversity is great, and the way they're actually approaching, not diversity as a principle, but the fact that they are focusing and really focusing on this woman of color, who is not even the captain, who has this fascinating backstory. Fascinating. Talk my eyebrow. Fascinating backstory. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited for the show and to see as another step into what Star Trek has become. But going back to maybe some of what's what's its original charm, its original. You know, I've criti- criticized its optimism before, but sometimes optimism is also can also be hopefulness and courage and doing doing good and seeking to do no harm and uh the courage it takes to boldly go where no one has gone before so uh that was an enjoyable panel again looking forward to that show that drops september 24th again october 16th rebels uh i i was able i went to uh the walmart yesterday and picked up seasons one and two on blu-ray so i have of course seen the whole series so far but you know, might as well look, even watched, uh, what did I do? So it's kind of the, what are you star? How are you star Wars? And <laughs> section here, uh, watched, uh, the, the featurette on Twilight of the Apprentice. I'm probably going to actually try and watch that episode tonight. Um, and, and watched, uh, Shroud of Darkness, which is actually one of my favorite episodes of the series. Um, with, uh, Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra going into the Lothal Temple and, them getting their visions and, and initially going in for some advice on what to do in a certain situation, but ending up that whole just being blown away by what happens there. Um, don't want to spoil too much there, although I'm going to spoil my favorite episode in, in a minute. But um, yeah, still, again, the memory of Fanex, we're kind of looking at my Instagram. Again, I kind of know what to do. Just avoid the horror section. It's not the horror generally bothers me, but there was this one thing I saw that I won't go into uh, that that did disturb me, and I actually had to process it. It took me two days to process it in the middle of a con, and so uh, yeah, that was that was that was that was a fly in the ointment a little bit. Um, which was surprising. I wasn't expecting that kind of response. But um, anyways, on to 
few clarifications here. So, as I take a swig of my beer. Yeah, it's a good beer. Kind of a, a Belgian attempt. Yeah, I mean, people can kind of get the, kind of the Belgian fruitiness. Yeah, I love Belgian Trappists, so anything that tries to get close to it, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least try, especially if it's made here in Toronto. Um, anyway, so a few weeks ago, Dallas, my buddy Dallas, came and asked me some questions and asked me about Obi Wan Kenobi and is he his pacifism and his his willingness to fight and is he is he in, into nonviolence or is he gonna take up a lightsaber? And my response. Uh, you know, I, I think was uh, tellingly vague in that I didn't come down and say, no, it's never okay to to fight back and defend yourself ever. Because frankly, I, I don't actually think pacifist discourse and nonviolent discourse addresses those immediate circumstances all that well, or all that much, rather. It doesn't really try to. So for me... To pursue nonviolence, to pursue peace, I, I think I did mention this is is a cultural, uh, social phenomenon, a movement, a yeah, at least to to change the culture, right? Um, and you look at how just war theory has been perverted into, you know, Colin Powell going before the UN Security Council and dangling this dangling in this uh, this vial of whatever saying here justification to go to war and that's not the point of just war theory just war theory in you know in, in papal social teaching john paul ii really brought this forward to say actually just war theory is now a non-violent position i know that sounds odd but uh obi-wan kenobi actually we shouldn't call him obi-wan kenobi at this point in the the second last yeah second last episode of Rebels season season three and this is my favorite episode of the whole series doesn't have much to do with Kanan or Ezra or Hera or Sabine or whoever but that's okay um, he confronts Maul or Maul tries to confront him finally um, Maul uses Ezra to lead him to Obi Wan lead him to Ben I should call him because he hasn't been called that for a very long time. He's Ben Kenobi. And the, the writers were very clear, very careful not to call him Obi-Wan. They called him basically Kenobi. Uh, <coughs> Maul in his rage and his anger. Kenobi! Uh, my apologies to Sam Whitmer, who does does an un unbelievable job in everything he does, especially in his portrayal of Maul's rage and violent ways. And... Um, but what's so fascinating with, with Kenobi here is, you know, they're they're dialoguing. They're well, they're trying to. He's trying to dialogue. You know, Kenobi basically, or, or Maul is basically stuck in that very same moment um, in the Phantom Menace where he's confronting the Jedi for the first time and you know taunts taunts Kenobi and, and uh, I think. You know, does flashy things with his lightsaber, and um, what's really, really fascinating is after everything Maul has done to Kenobi, Maul has done to this guy, um, 
killed Qui-Gon. Killed the woman he basically, not basically, the woman we know he, he was always in love with and maybe one day hope to <coughs> at least rekindle some sort of friendship with. Um, was probably, was partly instrumental in the downfall of the Jedi. Uh, after everything he's done, this old wizened now, wizened hermit, has reflected on where the Jedi had gone wrong and completely and utterly does not wish to fight Maul. Um, it's only when <coughs> when Maul realizes and recognizes you're hiding someone. And then the lightsaber ignites. We're not even told who. We know it's Luke, but we don't need to be told. Then the lightsaber ignites. Um, then, you know, the, the taunting and whatnot happens. And I won't, I won't spoil the end of what happens there, but, um, <coughs> sorry, this, this is, that's sufficient for, for our discussion tonight is he, what, what happens, the point here isn't, isn't just that Kenobi is willing to kill to protect Luke. Because he believes he's the chosen one. Kobe doesn't actually know how far along Maul has come. He he doesn't actually know in terms of his training, in terms of his skills, his, his perseverance, if he's worn down and, and uh, already kind of defeated. He doesn't know if that he's stuck in this one moment in The Phantom Menace. Whereas, you know, you know Obi-Wan has evolved to the point where not that he's simply he's willing to kill Maul. He's willing to risk dying. He's willing to say, this person could defeat me, but, uh, you know, he's even, again, he's even willing, he's willing to take the moral ambiguity of killing for the sake of this greater cosmic, uh, you know, his belief that Luke is the chosen one. Now, what do we what do we do with that as as Christians in, especially as, as privileged Christians in twenty first century? Um, you know, it's not a matter of willing to uh, take people down. Um, it's, it's certainly not a matter willing matter of willing to play political games. Uh, thinking of you know the corporate takeovers and hostile takeovers and all that. No, it's actually quite the exactly the opposite. It is we bear witness to the folly of violence by being willing to die for our faith. Uh, Stanley Harawas, I think, paraphrasing here has, has this. Uh, one of his very one of his many well known phrases is something to the effect of you know, secular society doesn't can't understand any kind of religious belief, not because people with belief are willing to kill, but because they're willing to die, um, and they're willing to, and what's fascinating, we're willing willing to take on the moral ambiguity of living in the world but not being of the world. I know that's a classic bandied about phrase, but, um, you know, we, it just goes all, goes back to Augustine's two cities here. Uh, he, 
were called to to love God and to hatred of the world, um, the world being the the enemies of God, uh, and, and I'll get to what I mean there in a second. But also to live in the world and bear witness to the light. You know, John chapter one, we we beheld the light, we we have seen His glory, glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And and here comes the point is. I don't have a problem with language of enemies of God because uh, if we're clear on what those enemies are, um, the enemies of God are not immigrants and, and Muslims and uh, you know people who live in different lifestyles and do this, that, and the other. Um, the creatures of God, here's my point, the creatures of God cannot be the enemies of God. We can join in with the enemies of God. We can be succumb to them. But the enemies of God are those that have been defeated on the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? The enemies of God are sin, death, hell, and the devil. <laughs> um, those are the classic four. Sin, death, hell, and the devil. You don't see any humans in there. <laughs> you don't see any lifestyles in there. What you do see are Things that people can get trapped in and uh, you know, corrupted by. Things that Christians get trapped in and corrupted by. Um, and so when we read in the scripture this language of uh, language of warfare. and Arise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. We, we can take that and say, yeah, sin, death, hell, and the devil... Sin, our separation from God and each other. Death, our decay into futility and nothingness. Hell, an eternal torment and separation. The devil, who, this parody of, of true praise and adoration of God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole, a whole other tangent on, will the devil be converted back? I mean, I think there is maybe a tradition that says he might. Um, I don't know. You know, that's clearly beyond that. But <laughs> what does it mean to defeat those enemies? It means for people to be delivered and protected and made whole. And there is some. sometimes we have to engage in conflict of some sort for that. Sometimes we have to say, even use, use legal means or whatnot for say, you need to stop this destructive action destructive activity um, so that that's that one clarification I hope that explains what's going on I mean I think we all know at least the very end I mean we know Kenobi survives so Maul doesn't it's a great death Maul has a really great death uh, I, I really recommend you watch the episode I'll put the episode title in the show notes I can't quite remember what it's called um but go ahead. Interestingly enough, just just jogging my my memory here, uh, Dallas hadn't actually seen that episode when he asked that question. Um, what he had seen, of course, was what we've all seen for forty years, or you know, less if you aren't alive, haven't been old old enough to seen it in the theaters the first time. But what we have seen is Kenobi stand there. Uh, 
with his lightsaber held up, and I mean, who we think I think is the chosen one, strike him down in order to become more powerful. And at that moment, not only is he willing to die, he knows he has to die in order for Luke to actually go from being this petulant farm boy to uh, to the Jedi he's destined to become. Um, and so, interesting, in Shroud of Darkness, this is a similar moment. Uh, but with Kanan and Ezra, uh, Ken doesn't die. Don't worry. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen in season four. But. So that was that one clarification I wanted to go to. Briefly, uh, Theodicy. Especially stumbling into this, this topic, especially, I mean, uh, Hurricane Harvey and Irma and Irma's on its way and well it's not on its way for the people of Barbuda and uh, you know other in Turks and Caicos and, and the Caribbean islands there it's there it's landed um, I want to be very clear and I don't know how clear I was or not of two things first of all God does not will the suffering of, of the innocent God does not, you know, and also to say that's is a cheap conceit to say, well, none of us are innocent. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> um, you know, well, the children who who died in these disasters and suffered in these disasters, God does not will that. I think the main response I have to uh, two questions of suffering is. Uh, or is to pray God be with them and carry them through. That that is that is there. Secondly, and the more important, my point. I want to reiterate my point, uh, which we see. I mean, we see. I I, I called out white supremacists because that's kind of easy. But uh, <laughs> when we're confronted, you know, when we'll see what happens when Ezra is confronted with this Lost Wolf. Loth Wolf and when I mean, when Ken is confronted with the Bendu, uh, Ken and Ezra and, and yeah are confronted with the Bendu in in Adelon on, in season three and uh, when when Joshua is confronted with the angel before going to battle in, into Jericho, you know, um, it kind of goes back to my point before of. Well, a little bit. We're called. We're not called to. We're not. We're not given a god we can encapsulate. We're not. I mean, the whole point throughout Israel's history was everyone around them believed in these little wooden metal things and these powerful deities would 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 come in and. Could be entrapped in these little metal statues, and uh, Isaiah has this wonderful, amazing, probably one of those hilarious moments in the whole Bible of <laughs> laughing at this. You say you 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 worship. You, you take a log of wood, make half of it out of half of it to into an idol, and the other half is firewood. Like how ridiculous is that? Um, whereas with the Temple of Solomon. Solomon dedicating the temples, 
read in morning prayer a few uh, last week, the heavens cannot contain you, O God. How much less this temple made of human hands. Um, we are confronted every day with those of us who, at least I hope I, 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 I do, we're called to be confronted at least, I'll say that, called to be confronted by a God who transcends our own expectations, a God who just will not be encapsulated and controlled, um, a God who, if he is being reasonable, if he's being gracious and loving and merciful, it's because he's coming to us. It's not because we've actually made him do that. Um, it's because that's what he's chosen to do and who he has, who he is. Uh, we're talking about divine freedom. Now, so I started reading in light of, of my worries about this podcast, that podcast, in light of uh, all the disasters just coming up on this week, I started reading, found my copy of David Bentley Hart's uh, At the Doors of the Sea. That uh, was written in response to uh, the uh, the tsunami in Japan, which again, <laughs> very well. I don't know what the the, the death was. So the, the same type of natural disaster that raises these wonderful questions of wonderful but raises these questions of why, how could a benevolent God allow such suffering? And I'm, I I read it for my first year of systematic theology. So it was a while ago. This was in. 2009 <laughs> so um, it's been a while and I didn't fully understand it back then and probably won't understand it this time that much but it makes this interesting point so theodicy I've thrown that word out theodicy is basically this question of how do we make sense of uh, of a, a all loving God who's also all powerful and yet there is suffering in the world and Christians have, have tried this, and people of faith have done this for for millennia. I mean, it's not a new question. Um, what and I, I think, and where I, I think Bentley Hart is going with this, uh, he starts by saying he's tempted to ridicule atheists who say, uh, who say, "Oh, it means there's proof there's no God." He's tempted to ridicule them. But what it reveals is, there, and he says, there's this profound sympathy with the driving force of that question. Which is, the, I mean, it's not, it's counterintuitive, right? Because our, our instinct is to say, is to somehow explain, and again, like that cheap conceit I said before of, uh, oh, well, the, they were, we're all sinful, so they're, they're, well, how do you say it again? How do you say that about kids? How do you say that about a natural disaster that, I mean, no one controlled, I mean, except for the rise of global warming? Um, and I think this gets to my point, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, is that reorientation, so one of the self-criticism that I had thinking about this, is, oh, that reorientation, that the 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 liberty to to actually have your views confronted when you're not dealing with uh, flooding and your kids are in hospital or from from this or whatever people are going through all the the billions of dollars in damage 
that's such a privileged thing. And uh, and thinking of that, that's precisely the point, is it's those of us with privilege who are so used to being having this comfortable, easygoing God. I mean, it's no wonder that Joel Austin made the news about this, right? His whole gospel, if I can call it that, is is one that's that's deeply, deeply indebted and, and uh, enthralled and enslaved almost, if I can be so strong, to to white wealthy privilege. It's you know, and and, and it's kind of unmistakable to me. And you know, because it, you know, so it claims that the God who wants to give you this privilege, well, these disasters say uh, this is a God who didn't stop what's happening. Uh, you could again make this cheap conceit that says, well, they got affected, but we weren't. Uh, that means we're blessed and they're not. Well, it's the same God who, you know, who, who's, again, and, and same weather patterns, right? Who's to say, in Sandy Hook, for example, you know, the wildfires in, uh, in the West Coast. You know, this, this is 9-11, right? I mean, to, who's to say we aren't vulnerable? And that's the thing is we are, we are sad, miserable, vulnerable as a species, I'm not talking about as a society. I mean, we can kind of be sad and vulnerable as a society, but as a species, um, and, and the thing, going back to the Great Litany, and uh, uh, and and I'll I'll name this episode title after that line in the Great Litany. Um, really, our only hope at the end of the day. Because, you know, and the, the litany of the petitions, they end, good Lord, deliver us. Good Lord. Really, at the end of the day, that's that's our hope. And what's, what's key to take here is, you know, I, I mentioned kind of the, the late medieval worldview of the earth kind of alive with this providential ordering of, of natural disasters and harvests and thanksgivings and there are a lot of insights we can take from science it's true we can we have to listen to meteorology meteorology we have to listen to geology and ge geography here to help and, and those are powerful tools that can help us predict things that are going i mean the biggest thing we just bit of a game of thrones here plug here uh Game of Thrones, I think the White Walkers, the other Collider has as a throne stock. It's all about global warming, oddly enough. It's this weird thing where it's 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 global, it's a global freezing, but all of our petty gains and all of our our privilege. I mean, you know, I mean the best place to go to is Ecclesiastes, right? It's vanity of vanity, chasing after wind, and yeah, there are some good things that can come of it. And good things that we we need to learn how to live in the world and, and you know, have jobs and feed our families and uh, engage in fandoms and Force Friday and My Knock Monday and, and all that stuff, right? And vote and 
watch the news and drive and all, all this stuff, right? We're, we're always called to live in the world. Um, but uh, we are still confronted with a God who cannot be encapsulated. Um, and my hope, again, for, for season four of Rebels is Ezra learns these secrets that the Jedi tried to encapsulate the Force. I mean, that, that's the, the find Malachor, the, the Shroud of Darkness. Ezra was told to find Malachor, and in, in Twilight of the Apprentice, he finds Malachor, and we are, don't spend too much time on the lesson, but I do hope we go back there, because the lesson of Malachor is they encapsulated the Force so much that they un unleashed a massive bomb. <laughs> and uh, thought they were so this is the the the, the old republic and we, we don't actually know in the new canon what happened there but what we do know is there's some sense that similar to the lesson of the clone wars right we thought from our privileged standpoint that the clone that the force was with us we assume we're certain certain that God is with us and forgot to live in the subjunctive right <laughs> I can't the, the slide I took Latin this grammatical thing the subjunctive of may the force be with you this way this well <clears throat> uh, this prayer I mean even cheer it in, in jail and we're going I'm one with the force and the force is with me I'm with, that's still a prayer may I be one with the force I mean, he had developed the habit, cultivated the habit. But our prayer in these times, in all times, good Lord, deliver us from tempest, famine, plague, earthquake, violence, sedition, rebellion, fear, sin, death, hell, and the devil. Good Lord, deliver us. So that's what I was kind of getting at. <laughs> um, I hope that makes more sense. Um, maybe just one more clarification. So the people who are privileged, people who are who have our wealth in front of us, to say, "Oh yeah, God is with us." Well, who's to say? How can you be certain? We can only pray, and we do see signs of grace in our lives. This is true. Um, but an order 66 could happen. I don't think it will in this society. I'm not that alarmist. But I mean, natural disasters are already happening. Uh, and all we can pray is, good Lord, deliver us. So that's been kind of a rogue episode. It went longer than I expected, but that's great. Clearly, I have stuff to say. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. May the Force be with you. Oh.